Vince Lombardi was one of the greatest football coaches, pro professional football coaches of all times, and he had many, many championship teams with the Green Bay Packers. He was a tough man, but he, he, was, he also had a lot of tough love. If uh, he had players and, uh, and he had the respect from them and they did what they were supposed to do, he was one of the most loving men you'd find. But if you, uh, you got out of line and you didn't perform, he was not afraid to tell you that either. But the thing about Vince Lombardi, he said two things about football. He said it's a game of inches. And he said the games are won in the last two minutes of the first or second half. But he said, above all, it is a game of fundamentals. And if you don't have the fundamentals down pat, you never will be a championship team. And when it comes to football, of course, that means tackling and blocking and screening and passing and that type of thing. They have to be done flawlessly to, be a, to, to have a championship team. Well, similarly, to make it into the kingdom, God requires an understanding of the fundamentals and a putting to practice of those fundamentals. So my question today is, what does it take to make it into the kingdom of God? What does it take? I want you to notice what Jesus said here in Luke, the 13th chapter. He said here in verse number 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive, he said. It is not going to happen on this silly notion that's palmed off as Christianity today where all you do is just accept Jesus Christ and you've done what it takes to be saved. It's like as, like as easy as falling off a log. Say the magic words and you're on your way to salvation. You are you automatically saved. That's one of the most diabolical lies ever perpetrated by the devil himself. Jesus would not have said strive to enter into that straight gate because he said here, many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. They will not make it. That's why we have to understand the fundamentals. So that's why my sermon this morning is going to deal with the fundamentals. Things we all ought to know and should be putting to practice. And yet, seemingly, things that people don't seem to grasp the significance of and uh, are not really applying. First of all, there's no one in this room who, who's converted, who's here by accident. This just, this did not just happen. The only reason you understand the truth is because God gave you a call. He gave you understanding. And that's the first fundamental. We've got to have an appreciation for that understanding, that call that, that, call that God has given us. You cannot join God's true church in the sense where you decide, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to go join. That's not the way it happens. The only way you come to a knowledge of God's truth and you, you, re you receive this uh, inside information and knowledge and understanding is if God gives you, he invites you and gives you a call. It's the only way you get it. There's no other way. Now true, Jesus did said, seek and ye shall find. Ask and it shall be opened unto you. Knock and you shall enter. But even then, if you show that kind of interest, you still have to receive the call from God. 
Notice what we read here, first of all, in Romans chapter 11 and verse number 29. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Now, that's a little bit awkwardly worded according to the way the King James has it. And a better translation would be, for the gifts and callings of God cannot be repented of. That is to say, if God gives you a call and he grants gifts to you, they cannot be revoked. God does not revoke them. Once he sets those in motion, they're automatic. And so we're saying here, the calling of God cannot be repented of. Once God gives you that call, it's, it's, the die is cast. Now, it's just a question of what you're going to do with it. Because being called by God is not going to automatically grant salvation. This is where we come to a knowledge of the under, of the fundamentals and we begin to apply those fundamentals seriously. John 6, 44. Jesus said here, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Now we have people by the millions today who profess Jesus Christ. They say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Somehow or other, that makes them feel that they're in right standing with God. Well, the Bible says the devil believes and trembles. So just believing in Jesus Christ in itself is not sufficient. All of that is certainly the beginning point. But for one to receive a knowledge of the truth, it is going to require more than just believing. But it does, as I pointed out here, depend upon God giving us that call giving us that invitation. And verse number 65, we read, I said unto you, No man can come to me except were given unto him of my Father. Well, that's why we're here. We receive that call. And in John chapter 10 and verse number 26, Jesus said, Believe ye believe not. Here he's talking to these Pharisees. They were the religionists. They professed, they, they professed the, the um, approved religion of the day. And he said unto them, You believe not because you are not of my sheep. So they were not included as a part of those who had been called. And Jesus said here, My sheep, hear my voice. So this call is the beginning point. It's the first fundamental we've got to understand, and I might add, very deeply appreciate. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in verse 26, we read, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many no, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So the calling is the beginning. It's the first fundamental. Now, the next step. We have to accept the knowledge, the truth that God reveals to us. What happens the very moment we reach a sticking point? We have a rather unusual setup on the internet because we have it divided into two halves. One half is for, I use a broad expression, the world, and the other half is for the worldwide church of God. 
because both of them deal with two separate approaches. And then underneath each column is a hot point, hot spot, where you can bring up literature. We have around, well, if we had everything up right now, we'd have around 70 articles up there. And uh, one's whole set of articles is designed for the world, the other set is designed for the church. And uh, there isn't any way, unless we had an actual program like the Bible Correspondence Course used to be, where you'd start people out at a very low level in the milk of the word and then gradually bring them along to stronger things. So uh, I'll receive uh, emails from people who are reading the literature and some of them just rave. Uh, as one man wrote in, he said, this absolutely is the most fantastic website I've seen on the entire internet, barring none. And he started requesting tapes. And he, you know, they can download all those articles and read them. And he started requesting tapes. All of a sudden, boom, no more. You know what happened? He reached his sticking point. He read something or heard something he didn't agree with and didn't like. Whatever's going to happen to him, that's God, that's God to judge. But I can tell you this, if you ever reach a point where you're going to disagree and you're going to, you're going to drag your heels on a point of truth, that which you have received will also be taken away. That's what Jesus promised. Now you go back here to the book of Hosea, and what do we read here in Hosea chapter 4 and verse number 6? Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Then what does he say here? What did some of them do? What, were, what was the priesthood responsible for? Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. There it is. So the second fundamental is the fact that we must, once God gives us a knowledge of that truth, we must accept it. Sometimes it's hard to take. The Word of God corrects us. And sometimes that correction is quite painful. But are we humble and yielded to God, or are we here because we want our own way? You read here in Isaiah chapter 29, or 28, here's how God actually makes it available to us. Isaiah 28 Beginning here in verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Who's going to understand it? Here's the comparison. They that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, they, they're, they're like children. They have the attitude of, of, a, of a small child. You know, you take a child that's very, very young before they reach the point where they begin to do a little thinking for themselves, and then that rebellion begins to come out, and then, then they start wanting their own way. You, you can ask for a, a, little, a little thing that is more malleable and open to its parent's uh, will and, and doing what, it's, what its parent wants. That's what God says we've got to be. The problem with so many parents is they don't discern this time period when this rebellion begins to creep out, and if they don't get control of that child... I'll tell you, by the time he's a... I've had little children stand out in the streets. I mean, little children this high stand out in the streets of St. Louis and give me the high sign. What is wrong with a child like that? The parents have failed to realize they should mold... They have a responsibility in molding that child to respect authority and to obey. 
Now, here's what he says. This is how it comes. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's the way God's word is. And uh, he, God gives us understanding. He gives us the knowledge of the truth. And then we're responsible to, re to respond to it. That's one of the fundamental things. Yet there are people, I can tell you, who refuse to apply that. They have their own ideas, and they say, yes, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but now here's the way I look at it. Who gives a hoot which way you look at it? Who gives a hoot which way I look at it? That's not what matters. What matters is how does God look at it? That's the only thing that counts. Matthew 11, verse number 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent. Uh, here is a comment. Uh, some fellow, I think I mentioned, he took the liberty to put all of the ministers on the Internet in a sort of a chat room. Well, I can tell you what chat rooms are. They're nothing more than, than forums for argument. I wouldn't waste my time five minutes on a chat room. And I promptly wrote him back and told him what the thing was going to become, and I said, I don't have time for it. Well, here's a, here's a reply he got back from a former Worldwide Church of God minister, whom I know well, and some of you in this room know very well. He said, this is a man that, that put everybody on. His name was Harold. He said, thanks, Harold. You asked, you asked, I think, for a radical comment. I suggest that the first of advance in theology be made when the Armstrongs, etc., are left behind. We were amateurs, all of us. There was no Elijah, certainly not HWA. I'm convinced the Bible is our guide, but our attempt to understand it is very poor. That's the problem. Your attempt to understand it will be very poor. The only way you're going to understand it is if God opens your eyes and gives it to you. That's simple. That's one of the fundamentals. This fellow here, if he ever understood it, has rejected it. He's going to find it on his own now. And I can tell you what he's steeped in. He's steeped in nothing more than what the Bible calls or what the historians call the acute Hellenization of Christianity. Modern Christianity today has been Hellenized. In other words, it's virtually, uh, virtually penetrated with Greek thought. Now he says here, I suggest a completely new start and to begin with the question, who is God? The God family idea was a step right out of polytheism and paganism. Our insistence on Mosaic law was another step away from God. No wonder the mess. We understood, misunderstood Paul entirely in this latter regard, in hope, of, in hope of the kingdom. Then he gives his name here. Well, I can tell you this. What's the Trinity? I mean, there are, there are these, there's not a single one of these so-called bright theologians today who can actually explain the Trinity. Three gods in one. What nonsense. And so this is what he's, he's going back to. He's forgotten one of the absolute fundamentals. And now he's one of these so-called hotshot theologians in one of these universities. He's a professor. You know, and he sits up there and these young students sit there awed by him. You've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Yes. You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. So that's how we come to a knowledge of the truth. Once we accept that truth, God gives us that call, then it's our responsibility and our duty to 
accept it, not to argue with it. And as we read in Romans 10 here, verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? There are those that God has commissioned and sent. And uh, fundamentally, the, uh, the, uh, the feeding and the nurturing of the flock comes by that means. Although, of course, we all know you can come to a knowledge and understanding of the truth by study to a certain degree, maybe to a good degree, if God is opening your mind and calling you. I used to meet people on baptizing tours years ago, and they would hear the broadcast, and the first time they heard it, they knew it was the truth. Why? Because they'd studied the Bible, and they found out what the Bible said. They took it for what it said. They didn't take it for what some theologian said it said. So you see, that is why that second fundamental, once we've been called to a knowledge of the truth and we've been given it, we'd better accept it. That's a fundamental teaching. Now the third one is, we have to grow in faith. Now Paul gives a pretty description of that here in Romans, the first chapter. He says, Romans 1, verse number 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So we receive this gift of God and we have faith and understanding in God who he is and what he is and then we must grow further in that faith where we begin to believe and really accept what he says and put it to practice. And that does require faith. You'd be amazed how many people the very moment some trial comes up they just cave in. Sometimes the trials we go through are the most agonizing thing we ever experience. And as Peter said, it's not pleasant at the time. You're not kidding, it's not pleasant. But afterwards, it yields the happiness and joy that comes from the fruits that have been born. So we have to grow in faith, and we read a definition here. Here's a very good definition of it. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse number, well, verse number one actually gives a description of it, and then we have a better explanation of it, or a, an additional explanation of it in verse six. We read here in verse one, Hebrews 11, verse one, faith is the substance, or a better word is assurance, is an assurance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, or the conviction of things not seen. In other words, we don't see it. We have God's promise, but we have absolute Complete hope and conviction that we will receive them, that these things will, we will be beneficiaries of the things that God promises. And then as he says here in verse 6, but without or apart from faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God. So now here's what we're, we're dealing with two things here. Now these are fundamentals we're dealing with. The question we need to ask ourselves, are we applying these fundamentals? Well, I can just imagine what Vince Lombardi would have said to one of his blockers or, or tacklers out there if the guy had forgotten the fundamentals and wasn't doing his job properly. 
He must, he that comes to God must, number one, he must believe that he is. Absolute faith and confidence in God's existence. No doubt whatsoever. And number two, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Notice the little word diligently. Not those who half-heartedly. Not those who uh, come as catch can. Not those who are here today and gone tomorrow. Not those who waver back and forth and one time they are and one time they aren't. Those who diligently seek him. Now that's what, that's what faith develops. And that's what faith is. And James summarized it very well here in James the second chapter. James 2 and verse number 20. When he said, Will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? How many of the so-called clergy in the United States today, or even in what we call Christianity today, will assure you there are no works? All you have to do is accept Jesus Christ. I was just thinking this morning about these men who once knew the truth. And I mean, they've thrown it away so that they've gone right back into Protestantism. And I've had to conclude what we're dealing with. The problem that arose down, down there in Pasadena was you're dealing with a whole second generation of Christians who never really had any real conviction and belief anyway. And they were just delighted to find out oh, so-called modern Christianity was right after all. And then you have all these people just blindly go along. They never think. They don't study the Bible. They just take someone else's word for it. I hope you're not here just taking my word for it or Mr. Carter's word for it. I hope you're here because you've proven it and you believe it. And I hope you're not, you're, you're not here because you're following us. What if you find out, uh oh, we have faults? I'll tell you what you've got to be. If you're in this game and you're going to be up in the limelight, and you'd better be able to take the heat because I'll tell you, your, your forehead's got to be as hard as a flint. That's why I said the other day, you better evaluate criticism. Is it of any value? Who's it coming from? 99% of the time, it isn't of any value. Once in a while, it might be. So it does require a exercise of faith and confidence and trust in God. you just got to set, you got to set aside all of the flaws and the foibles and weaknesses of men. And put your trust and confidence in God. That's where it belongs. Now the next point. Which is number four. You've got to use God's spirit to overcome. Now of the three fundamentals. Or perhaps the four fundamentals that we're presently exercising. Or we should be exercising now. It's these four. It's, uh, it's a fact that we are growing in faith. We're using God's spirit to overcome. And the next two will be we exercise determination and then we endure. Those are the four things right now we're, we're, we're being tested and put to the practice on. And put to the test on. So we have to use God's spirit to overcome. Can any man overcome the poles of human nature? And uh, can he overcome the world without God's spirit? I can, it's, it's, a, it's a hard struggle even with it. Because God does not give us a, the kind of measure of the spirit that he gave Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had the spirit from birth. Jesus Christ never once sinned. You know what Unitarians teach? They teach that Jesus Christ was not God. 
There's only one God, the Father. And what Jesus Christ was, he was just a sort of a special man who was elevated to a higher status than normal men. That's another diabolical lie. Let's notice John 15, verses 4 and 5. John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. You're going to do it on your own? You think? I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So you know, how, how well are we applying this fundamental? Is Jesus Christ exercising an influence in our lives and is he inspiring and leading us? Is that the dominating factor in our lives or is it our own carnal human nature and Jesus Christ is back in a corner somewhere who once in a while might come up? But that's a serious question to consider. How much are we being led by the Holy Spirit or how much are we uh, setting aside the Holy Spirit and letting that old carnal human nature rule us? Notice what we read here in uh, John 14, verse number 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We will, the two. So we have the gift, the earnest of the Spirit from God the Father, and as we find in Paul's writings in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit granted us by Jesus Christ on a daily basis that comes in and inspires us. We've got to have God's help. That's all there is to it. And we've got to go to God to get that help. And we get that help on our knees. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 22. We read here in verse 21, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts the down payment that's all we've received you buy a piece of property you sign a real estate contract and the real estate agent requires earnest money and compared to the amount of Money that's involved in the sale of the property, the earnest, mar the earnest money is rather small. Uh, anywhere from, depending on the deal, 500 to 1,000, maybe 2,000, sometimes maybe $3,000 down payment earnest money. Now you stop and consider how much is the earnest of the Spirit that God gives us. So we have to, we have to receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ on a daily ba basis, which Paul called the pouring out of the, compared to water. You know, Jesus said, rivers of living water. And he said, that man, that man has these rivers of living water going in and going out. What happens when you neglect prayer? That, that power is, is uh, deleted from your life. And there's the same old man there, the old carnal man without the help of God's spirit. Pretty empty existence. I think I'll give a sermon on this subject sometime. And that is, what would your life be like if these two things happened? Number one, 
You never had any knowledge of the truth whatsoever, and you never had the Holy Spirit. Would you want to go back to that life? Is that the way you'd want to live? Well, I can tell you this. That's why it's important to apply these fundamentals. That's what they are. They are the fundamentals of success. I'm talking today about the ultimate success story. That's how we receive it. We gain that goal by that means. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God. Stir it up, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that word sound mind means a self-controlled or disciplined mind. It's self-control. That's what God gives us. He gives us self-control. That's why you read back in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 6, not by power or by might, but by my spirit. That's what he told Zerubbabel. And that's what he tells us. So that fundamental is absolutely important. The utilization of God's spirit is a part of our lives and on a daily basis. Now the next point. We must be determined. When I was in high school, we had a coach, and his motto was, he always tell us, he would always tell us, to win, one must have the will to win. Winners never lose, and losers never win. I can tell you, to gain, to gain God's kingdom, this is what we've got to have. We've got to have determination. And if we're not determined, we'll never make it. Because something will come up in the road, something will get in the way, we'll get sidetracked. We'll cave in. Now that doesn't mean that if we make a mistake and we, we have a flaw and we fall and we stumble and we don't pass the test that we're doomed, God will, God's patient, he'll, he'll give us another one down the line a little bit later on, just get braced for it. You know, when, do we, when does one reach a point of no return? Well, that's called the unpardonable sin. And God's the one that determines that. So, you know, we can, we, can, we can stumble and we can fall on occasion and we, we may fail to pass the test on occasion, but I can tell you we, we need to recover and we need to be sure we do the right thing from then on. And we really make an effort to overcome the problem, whatever it is that's really bothering us. And sometimes those things can only be overcome if we really take fasting seriously and really go after it. Hebrews 11, notice what, I wrote. notice what I said here in Hebrews 11. I emphasized the word a few minutes ago. Let me touch on it once again. It's a little word here, diligently. Those who diligently seek him. They don't give up. They're determined. That's what it's going to take. Anything less than that will not achieve the goal. It's got to be something we start out in this course of life with and we stick all the way through. Oh, yes, I'm well aware there are 11th hour laborers who come into the fold. But I can tell you, those who are called early in the, early in the day, they're the ones that are born the, born the brunt of it. But they've got to hang on to that determination. If God opened your eyes and called you as a young man, 
and you recognize the truth and you begin to practice that truth and you did that all your life, what a privilege and a blessing that has been for you. How much misery have you avoided? How'd you like to be a good percentage of the people I meet where you've had two or three wives and you've got a string of children here and there and all over the place? Your life is a financial mess. Why? Ignorance, part of this world. If God called you early in life, well, that's a privilege. I can tell you, you're going to avoid, if you pay heed to it, you're going to avoid the heartaches that I've had to experience. The reason I don't watch these silly soap operas, there's two reasons. Number one, you could turn the thing on and watch a program, and you can look at it six months later, and you have hardly missed anything. They never get anywhere. But number two, I don't have time to watch all of the things that those people go through. I have experienced those things in real life. I've seen all kinds of people who've had problems like that and even worse. I don't need that. I got enough as it is. But I can tell you, those who are determined are the ones who learn by their mistakes. And they don't go back to their folly like the Bible says a fool does, who never seem to be able to learn. Matthew 5 and verse number 6. Here's how Jesus summarizes on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, we're talking about using the power to overcome God's Holy, to overcome the pulls. We're using the power of God's Holy Spirit to overcome our human natures. It's going to be a lifelong struggle. So we, we have to be determined we're going to master it. We fail this time, you know. Sometimes when I make a mistake, I'm, I'm so disgusted with it. I just wish I could do better. I had a member call me up and ask me how to overcome temper. And I told the member, I'll tell you something. When I find out the secret, then I'll tell you. Why? That old carnal nature. We've got to be determined and recognize it is our worst enemy. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 12, Jesus said, here's a good example of what it takes. I'll, I'll paraphrase this in a much better translation because it makes it clear. From the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus said. Remember, John the Baptist was a precursor to Jesus Christ. He was the one that preached the Messiah so that when the Messiah came on the scene, he just simply said, Behold, the one that comes after me. And the disciples of John the Baptist went after Christ. Now we know what happened to John. He fearlessly told the king he was not at liberty to marry his wife's sister. And it cost him his life. Herod had nightmares over that. But Christ came on the scene and they accepted Christ. Notice what he said. From the time, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Or as a, mar as a better translation would be, from the days of John the Baptist now, until now, the kingdom of heaven is gotten by men of driving force. Those who are determined to gain that kingdom. That's what it's going to take. Not going to take a laid-back attitude where we're just going to wait and somehow or other we, we, sometime, we somehow think God's going to do it for us. 
we'd better be men of driving force where we really take our calling seriously. Philippians 3, verse number 13. Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press for it. That's what it's going to take. Determination. Now that leads to the next thing. Endurance. You know what happens to an athlete when he's not in physical shape? I remember the first time I saw a, a baseball game, a, a, a really good baseball game of quality. I was dumbfounded at the physical conditioning of those, those athletes. Because while baseball may seem slow, at the moment the action begins, everything is just instant. And they've got to react instantly, and they've got to make a move just like dynamite. And I mean their muscle and their muscle tone is all keyed up. And oh, it's, it's really fast when the action takes place. Now, do you think somebody out there who's out of physical shape can do the job and is going to last very long? Well, I can tell you this. If you're not in physical, spiritual shape, the same thing will happen. You can't let yourself get out of shape spiritually and then expect when, when the action occurs that you're going to be able to handle it. That's why we've got to apply these, these, uh, these fundamentals all the way through. Acts chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We read here that God is going to render to every man according to his works, according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Continued patience in well-doing. They don't give up. They just endure. They just keep on going. That's what it takes. It isn't going to be anything less than that. So that's why endurance is important. Notice Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 13. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse number 13. But ye, brethren... Be not weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of it. People get to the place where they just, uh, they're not going to, to be applying the principles of well-doing. What's going to happen to them? That's why it's important. It's important to endure. And as Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10 here, and verse number 38, Hebrews 10 and verse number 38. Now the just shall live by faith. So here faith comes in. Then we read, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. If any draw back. How many people have drawn back? So you see, it is a matter of enduring. But what do you endure? I'll tell you what you endure. You endure the truth. You don't endure compromise. God gave them the truth. But they didn't really love that. That's what the problem was. That's why Jesus said here in Matthew 24. 
Matthew 24 and verse number 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. That's one of those fundamentals. That's what's got to be applied. And in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12. Take heed, brethren. Pay attention. You better apply this fundamental. Lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Meaning unfaithfulness. In departing from the living God. In departing from the living God. How do you depart? Do you, do you depart entirely or can you depart partially? It doesn't give the level here of the departure. I can tell you anytime you depart, it's either going to be the whole thing. It can be a part, maybe just a little bit, but it's still a departure from the original truth that God gave. How did you receive that original truth? Because you conjured it up in your own mind and you decided what truth was? So, you know, we often don't uh, choose ourselves what we're going to be. When it comes to a matter of God's truth, God's the one that determines that. Now, the last step. This is the one we're all anticipating. We have to, we have to be, um, as I pointed out here, accepting truth as it comes. We have to be using God's Holy Spirit to overcome we have to exercise determination and an endurance. Now, this is the one we're all anticipating, being born into the kingdom of God. Remember what my original question was? What does it take to get into the kingdom of God? I'll tell you what it takes. It takes the application of the fundamentals. You know, you have people, they get, they get wrapped up in little twiggy things. They get wrapped up in prophecy. They somehow seem to think if they got a handle on prophecy and an understanding on prophecy, that really makes them special. Well, I can tell you, Paul said prophecy is going to cease. That was a broad term, of course, including not only foretelling, but, but uh, the prophecy that he grants to the ministry because there won't be any ministry at that time when God's, that in, in the same sense that there is today in God's kingdom. There will always be a, a, a priesthood, but uh, as we know it today, that's going to come to a halt. Now, what if you know all prophecy? It's like I've said before. What if you understand all doctrine, but you're not living it? What if you understand all prophecy, but you're not living? You're not living the truth. What value is it? I'll tell you what we'd better be understanding. We'd, be under, we'd better be understanding these fundamentals and putting them to practice. That's what it's going to take to enter God's kingdom. Now, Jesus said here in John, the third chapter, that one of the fundamental texts we all understand. Except a man, John 3, verse 5, except, except a man be born out of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's what we're anticipating. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it come or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus said we must be born of the Spirit. It isn't some kind of a fluffy concept of accepting Jesus Christ and then, quote, you're born again. When you, uh, you can be begotten of the Holy Spirit, 
if you accept Jesus Christ. That's not the same as being born. And there's a very good type in the, in the, in the production of, uh, reproduction of human beings. There's the begettal, and then there's the birth. Right now, we're in that state of being begotten, so that we're being formed spiritually into the new man. And then we're going to be born spiritually into the kingdom of God, in the image of God. In his own likeness, and as he said, we'll see him as he is. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We can't see God as he is today. The Bible says no man can look on God and live. He never even revealed himself visibly to Moses. He just showed the backside of his body to Moses. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse number 50, beginning here in verse number 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And that's exactly what happens when you die. The Bible calls it sleep. These uh, theologians with their smug looks on their face say, well, they're soul sleepers. Well, what does the Bible say happens to, to a man when he dies? Because the dead know not anything. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's the final step. That's what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. So let me just summarize it. Entering the kingdom of God is the application of fundamentals. The first of those fundamentals, accepting God's call. The second, to accept the truth and to grow in it as we go along through life. Number three, to grow and develop in faith. Number four, to use God's spirit to help us to overcome because we can't do it on our own. And number five, to exercise determination. Number six, to exercise endurance. And number seven, to enter into the kingdom of God. That, my brethren, is what it takes to enter the kingdom of God.